0: Gather round and listen to tales of great adventure and brave heroes. Tales of daring individuals fighting monsters and claiming treasure. Tales of bards trying to get into the pants of savage beasts to avoid losing a fight. Tales of people drinking beer, eating pizza, and rolling dice. Tales of people losing their minds over the things that happen to people who only exist in their minds. This is Roland Bones, and I am Ryan Howard. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, the place to go for all the best D&D interviews available on Anchor.fm, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am, of course, Ryan Howard. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Howard underscore Ryan Greg. And we've got a great episode today. I got to interview uh, one of my good friends, one of the people from my D&D group a guy by the name of Joe Maldonado. We talked a lot about the old days and a little bit about his uh, his new transition into becoming a dungeon master and uh, some of the ideas he has for a very unique game world that, that he's working on. And I'll, I'll let our words in that interview speak for themselves about that. I won't give that away here up front. Uh, but first and foremost, before we get started, I just ask everyone, uh, whatever podcatcher you are listening to us on, please give us a uh, five-star rating and a review that helps us be discovered more and uh, brings more and more people into the fold of Rollin' Bones. And I've got a couple plugs here uh, just to shout out a couple of my friends, Uh, one that I haven't mentioned for a while. uh, Namira, my good friend and uh, player in my Saturday Night Games, she is a streamer, she streams a lot of horror games, And uh, she is great. There is a puppy. They will give the puppy treats. It is a lot of fun. Uh, It's a great time. Her and her boyfriend do that stream uh, three nights a week. Uh, I believe they changed up the nights. If I'm remembering correctly, it is Wednesday, Thursday and then Saturday morning now. But you can find her at twitch.tv Namira M-N-I-M-Y-R-A. Once again, that is N-I-M-Y-R-A. You can also find her on Twitter at Namira. And it's a whole lot of fun. She's got a Discord server, too. You can find those links on her Twitter and on her, on her Twitch. It's a lot of fun. Great community. And, of course, I want to continue giving shout-outs to DM Dave and his new product, Broadsword Magazine. You can buy Broadsword Magazine via my affiliate link. which you can find in the notes for this podcast on whatever podcatcher you're listening to. And uh, just a quick announcement, two weeks from today, I will be releasing an episode that is beginning to end a full review of Broadsword Magazine number one. I've been hyping this thing up to you. I've got it digitally. I'm still waiting for the physical copy, but whether or not that comes before the episode comes out, I'll address that in the episode, but I will be doing a review cover to cover, just seeing all the content that Dave puts out, tell you guys about it in detail without kind of giving away some of the adventures that he's created, and I'll tell you my honest opinion of it. Dave is nervous. When I told him that I was going to be do this, doing this, he said, uh, I'm gonna get eviscerated. I, I don't think Dave uh, understands that I am. I am not a harsh critic. I, I like to like things, so I, I'm not looking for holes. I, I'm looking to explore the value proposition of this this lovely book that he has put together. But I will give you guys my honest opinion. So if I think the adventures suck, I will I will tell you. But that is coming in two weeks. Uh, for now, let us get into today's. RANT FROM BEHIND THE SCREEN. Now, this is something that's come up in my Saturday Night Games, uh, something that I've kind of noticed has become very important in all of the games that I'm playing, and that is Providing your players with a visual representation of what you're describing. And this kind of manifests itself in multiple different ways. Now, one of the ways that it manifests itself is with the battle map, which gets into kind of the, the tactics thing that I've been discussing a lot lately, and we'll discuss a lot actually on next week's episode. But that's just one aspect. That's just for combat. But there's another aspect to it that being being able to show your players what you're describing with your words cuz some people some people are visual learners. Some people are not going to be able to see something until you show them an image of it. And if you have players like that and you're noticing that they're not as immersed in your world and you're not kind of giving them an image Uh, that's probably the reason why they're not as immersed as they otherwise would be. And so, basically, I I just encourage everyone to, you know, when you're describing a place or a person, find some kind of visual representation. And the good news is, there's a lot of great ways to do this now, Uh, especially when it comes to describing people. Uh, One of the best tools for this I found is actually going onto Hero Forge and making like a miniature, and not actually like ordering the miniature, but just making that that. 3D-rendered image that you get that that shows you what your your character looks like. If you just make one of those for each character, and they don't have to be super in-depth, like, you don't have to give everyone weapons or a mount or anything like that, but if you just make one of those characters just kind of to to show off the important characters in your world, that goes a long way for a lot of people. That's actually something that I picked up from uh, Kyle, a friend of mine from the old D&D group. As soon as we kind of discovered Hero Forge, uh, in his game that he runs, he actually started making all the important NPCs and big bads and stuff like that in Hero Forge and showing his players. Now, I will caution everyone about getting lost in the uh, the rabbit hole that is Hero Forge. I cannot tell you how many times I've just sat there staring at the computer screen just just making characters, losing all track of time, doing nothing productive... And part of that's just because I'm a nut, okay? I, I am a nut when it comes to DD stuff. So I, I have to limit how much time I'm on a site like Hero Forge. Otherwise, I'll be there all day just being like, now what if I made a druid? Now what if I made a monk? What if I made a monk druid? And just, it's terrible. I, I, I get easily distracted by things like that. But for places... Uh, this can be a little bit tricky. A lot of times what's helpful is to make a map of the environment that that your players are in, the hub, town that they're going to be in. And what's tricky about that is there are very few of us out there who are skilled cartographers. Making a map is actually uh, fairly difficult. There There are tools that make it easier, though. The one that I like to use is incarnate. They they have tools that that make it easy for a, a, an artistic dummy like myself to make a cool looking map to, to show off to players. And, you know, even if that's too much effort for you, um, there's no law that says you can't pull up a map of the fantasy world that, that you are most familiar with and pass that off as your world. Now, if your players are like, that's not wherever we are, that's a map Middle-Earth. At that point, they're just doing it to themselves. But, you know, it, as long as you put a little bit of effort into it, you know, kind of change, change names... But just provide a visual representation. Or one thing that uh, that Muhammad, my my old DM, who pretty much taught me everything I know about at dungeon mastering, he when he made his world because he is not a skilled cartographer either. He uh, went to a site that you, that uh, randomly generates a map for you, and there there are sites where you can do that. You can put in kind of parameters of I want there to be mountains, and I, I want this kind of terrain, that kind of terrain, and such, and then it generates a map for you. That's an option as well. But in general, it's it's a good idea just to give your players a visual understanding of who and what they're encountering in this world of yours. And it's a tool that really helps with immersion and really helps people just kind of embody their character and their, their surroundings more for that three to six hour period that you're playing. Are you playing D&D for six hours? That seems excessive. And that's, again coming from a nutcase like me. But if you're playing for six hours, you you damn well want your players invested. Anyway, that's it's it's a short rant. That's that's really all I have for today's rant from behind the screen. Now let's jump head on into today's interview with my my good old friend Joe Maldonado. It's a lot of fun and I hope you guys enjoy it. all right everyone as promised today on the show we've got one of the great players from the campaigns that i did back in charlotte ladies and gentlemen joe Maldonado.
1: hey what's up how's it going
0: it's going great how
1: you doing joe i'm pretty good yeah i'm excited to talk this will be fun
0: Absolutely, me too. In the lead up to this episode, w- what I pretty much told everyone, and I don't know if you've listened to the, the episodes before this, unfortunately, yeah. of all the D&D group, I actually know you the least.
1: Yeah, I guess that's fair, yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess those early games when we were actually playing with like you and Mo running your games. Yeah, I was just sort of hit or miss on uh, on those games back then. So, yeah,
0: I mean like Kyle and I were in college together, and Mo and I talked all the time because we were you know we were DMS running in in worlds. That it, yeah. in, in the same world but different time periods and then just ashley and lucas and i it seems like we would hang out all the time and david and i you know we talk about star wars and stuff like that yeah. but you and i never connected despite having a ton in common
1: yeah yeah i guess i was also i think it's fair to say that i was also pretty quiet back then i, I think now i've I guess probably the other group would say so too that I've like on of bossed blossomed down on my show a little bit. I'm a little bit, though. So I guess they they give me a hard time now about not eating with them lately. Mm. <laughs> lately, but yeah, <laughs> small things. Well, it's all
0: it's always something with them. It really yeah. is.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm basically coming to Lucas. I'm not eating with them.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Oh god, that 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 is a trait of Lucas that he and I will have to discuss when I bring him on.
1: Yeah, it's it's more. It's not like uh, I have a hard time eating in front of them or anything. It's just I tend to come home first after I get off work before the games and stuff. So I eat when I'm home, and I just head straight over. Mm-hmm. So they're always like planning on what they're gonna order and stuff like that. And just she's like, oh, "I already eaten. You guys, you guys take care of yourselves."
0: Well, yeah, and like, I mean, I had a similar situation. I would bring my food there sometimes, but once yeah. I started keto, unless I was planning on doing a cheat day that night, I basically would have to bring my own food because it would be like pizza or Chinese or yeah. whatever. And I'd be like, eh, "I can't do carbs." <laughs>
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It's usually like, kind of like fast food stuff. So yeah.
0: Gotcha. Well, Joe, we are going to start this episode the same way we start every episode, uh, but the questions have been tweaked a little bit. So uh, yeah, might might catch you by surprise here with a couple of them.
1: <laughs> All right. Yeah. Bring
0: First and foremost, we're in familiar territory. Joe, how did you get into RPGs and D&D?
1: Okay. Um, So, yeah, I was actually thinking about this for a little bit. Um, I guess it actually goes back pretty far back into, like, middle school. I actually would uh, go onto these forms and uh play and just basically role play on these forms um big one for me was a harry potter form called accio firebolt that used to be pretty popular back then and i would i had like you would be sorted into a house and you basically got to like rp with other harry potter housemates and stuff like that and i would do other ones like i think i did like a final fantasy one at one point and i was in a naruto one for a bit so yeah that was like my first entrance to that kind of RP, uh, role-playing stuff besides video games and whatnot but i never really like followed up on it, like D or anything like that until I met you guys and I was like getting into d and because I was listening I first listened to a podcast called Nerd Poker mm-hmm. which is uh, the game with uh, Brian Poussain, um and his buddies They just uh, recorded a podcast way before I even really like that live play stuff was even popular at all. I don't even remember how I came across it. I think I might have been like the early days of like Reddit and stuff like that. I might have come across it. But after that, I like I think it was like 2015. I started watching Critical Role. got really addicted to it and really hooked. And I was like, man, I got to I just got to play. I just got to find a group. And luckily, Mo posted on Reddit. On the r charlotte subreddit that you guys were looking for new players and i just took advantage of it jumped on it and i'm glad i found this group because i guess it's probably one of the you hear all the horror stories online about groups falling apart and things like that or not being able to meet and we're just like so consistent and we all love playing with each other so Um, yeah it's been it's been awesome
0: yeah i it never ceases to amaze me how like when you go on rpg horror stories you you just hear about hey we found this guy online it turns out he was a total nightmare yeah (laughs) and about the 10th story in i'm just like man i got lucky
1: yeah yeah i think about all the time about how people like even like on uh D D memes where they're just talking about how they have to keep rescheduling Sessions where mm-hmm. like we just have a standing understanding that we're going to meet every Wednesday around six o'clock and we'll play until we're until we're done or tired. Yeah, it's, it's just I feel like I got it. I got it. Lucky.
0: <laughs> now you mentioned uh, role playing in forums, and I know now you were never as into it as like Lucas and I were, but I know that at one point in your life you were into wrestling, and so I have to ask you: Did you ever get involved in an e-fed
1: Um, I, and now that you think about it, I'm remembering. Yeah, there was a. a WWE form that I was a part of. And like I remember you would make up a wrestler um and they would basically put you into cards and like every week they would put you into like a thread where you would essentially have a match with another player and like the mods of that form would basically just determine like he would say, Oh, I'm gonna try and do this, and the mods would I forget how they would handle it, but they would eventually just like be like, Okay, so you try this and uh you jump all type rope, but he rolls out of the way and you slam onto the Matt really hard, and they would do that kind of stuff back and forth. I remember I did that maybe a few months or so, but I never really got hooked into it as much as the other stuff.
0: That's an aspect of role-playing that I need to uh, do more research on and have more guests on about, the the whole, like, forum RPG stuff. But yeah, like, role-playing forums was a little bit before my time as an internet dweller. In fact, I remember uh, the, the, the first first few times of me getting online, the the one thing my parents were deathly afraid of was me getting on, at, at, at this point they were still calling him Chat Rooms. Yeah, yeah. Me, me getting on a chat room. they like, you, you have no way of of knowing who uh, who you'll be interacting with. And then uh, the first forum I was ever active on was the IMDb forum. Which those oh, okay. of you out there who who went on the Internet Movie Database forums know what a a shit show that place was.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like the the whole RPG scene forum. I feel like it's it's just died. I like it. I remember back in like middle school, high school then. It was like pretty much me and my friends in school would like, we would have like these forums that we would go to all the time. It was like super addicting.
0: And yeah. And I think, I think a lot of that stuff has moved on to Roll20.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've, I think I've seen like, but people do like games of just text only where they, they don't even, like, call in or anything. They just do that kind of stuff, hmm. text-based, yeah.
0: Gotcha. So uh, I don't know if you would count the uh, the forum game as your first game, but even, like, leaving that aside, what, what was your first actual RPG that you played? Was it 5th edition?
1: Yeah, it was 5th edition with you guys. Yeah, I never, like, played any other, like, even, like, tabletop in general. Like, I've played, like, board games, like, Monopoly and stuff like that, but, like, meeting together and rolling dice with other people in, like, a game-type fashion was completely new until I met you guys guys. Gotcha. And yeah, I feel like... I feel like I remember that first session. I was just sort of like a deer in headlights. I was like, you, Mo, and Ashley and David were all there, and you guys were all sort of like in the middle of something. And I was just sort of jumping in. I had no idea how to actually role play, how the game worked, or anything. And it was just like, yeah, completely surprised and like having to catch up on everything.
0: Yep, and you uh quite literally dropped in 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 the middle yeah. <laughs> of things. So uh, this this is a perfect transition. uh Why don't you describe that first character you played to everyone? Yeah,
1: yeah, Davrin, uh He was a uh, he was a half-elf, uh, wild mage sorcerer. Um, and I went sorcerer because I talked to him and I was like, I want to do like a magic character. I want to do like wizard or something. But he said he advised that for a first-time player to DD at all to just skip wizard and cleric and all the responsibilities and just go with a straight sorcerer. So yeah, I was like, I, I saw the draconic part of it, and I was like, oh, that's sort of interesting. But the wild mage just, like, being able to, like, randomly call some mishaps and whatnot, I was like, that that's for me. I said, so yeah, I just jumped on that. And I basically, I wrote Mo like, a big character background story about how his mom was the elf and she went back to her tribe and so he lived with his former dad and uh Davrin eventually went to the magic school that exploded um in the storyline and there he met an instructor like so i think in the background Davern was not good at magic at all and so he met this instructor who did like experimental magic to like imbue spells with tattoos under your skin so i like i thought that was an interesting idea of just having a bunch of tattoos on him and like that's what gave him his powers so that was like my original idea and I think in that background there was something about how the instructor's plans failed and uh, davern ended up being like like cursed with teleporting randomly because of the chaos magic mm-hmm. um so yeah like i think my first appearance was davran had been teleporting for like a month at that point or something and he just suddenly finally stopped on your guys's boat which was barreling towards the city mm-hmm. uh so yeah i got like a grand entrance for you guys <laughs>
0: <laughs> yep. And the things that always stood out to me about Davorin, um, like you said at the beginning of the episode, in in those days you were very quiet, but the time where you weren't quiet was whenever there was something to counterspell. Yeah,
1: buddy. Be-
0: because you had it. <laughs> I think yeah. you might have been the only person in the party that had counterspell, and so anytime oh, there was anytime there was something going down, or, or Mo had an NPC casting like hold person, or silence, or anything to just mess with us, immediately. Davron just be like
1: Counterspell Yeah man I love Counterspell It's such like a big Like middle finger To mm-hmm. whoever is casting Especially if you know What level The spell they're trying to cast is And you can just like, Be like alright Yeah i just cancel it Don't mm-hmm. even worry about it yep. Yeah It's just It's just a good spell And I loved using it On uh, on Ashley's character Latorian, <laughs> When they were vampires That was just like The best yeah. moment Like they were <laughs> They were sent to kill us <laughs> And I just like Stopped all of her Fireball mess Yeah It's mm-hmm. the best Yeah <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's. I, I've got a player in my current group who's a bard, and his new favorite thing to do is anytime they come up against a spellcaster, is to cast silence on them so they can't do mm-hmm. anything. That's smart. Yeah. But uh, he he has not yet discovered that counterspell is a thing. Yeah. So.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's what I am playing on in my campaign is that when they're spellcasters, they're going to have counterspell. Yeah, because you know, I mean, I gotta, I gotta make them work for it a little bit.
0: Again, because I've played so many games with you, I have a, a good idea of what this is in my head. But for the benefit of everyone else who's never rolled dice with you, describe your play style as a player, and then kind of describe your play style that you're developing now as a GM.
1: So as a player, um, I think all of my characters sort of have something in common that they're like sort of selfish in general, like they sort of look out for themselves first. Um, Though Davrona told us so what say I feel like he was more like wanting to take care of the world but like especially Balasar he was he was all focused on himself and Lucio now is just like he started off as more grandiose in ideas but as he's like beginning like corruption points and stuff like that as we play the game so i'm like okay yeah we're just going to make him more and more self-centered and an asshole <clears throat> So yeah, that's like I think it's like my character's personality goes that way. And as far as like as a player, I really like dice. I really like the whole dice aspect of the game. So anytime I can like roll for something, um, even when I'm rolling badly, it's still a whole lot of fun to just like roll dice and be like, okay, I'm gonna try this thing. If it fails, then that's part of the game and it's fun. Or if I like when I was a wild mage sorcerer, just like being like, All right, I roll this, and if it like completely messes up the entire encounter or something else, then I'm like, yeah, that's fun. That's That's the best part, the random fate. Mm. Um, As far as a, a DM... Uh, I feel like I'm I'm really like growing into that. I think one thing I really like about DMing is the planning aspect, like just sort of like being like, all right, so these guys are going here. Let me throw these pieces in these various areas that they can run into. Um, let me like design like a story and figure out if these players, if the players find this information, then they can help them later down into the the encounters they run into and stuff like that. I really like that aspect. And I also really like making the games, especially combat encounters, more difficult. Like I want the players to have to if they're going through a dungeon and they get to a boss i want them to feel like that their resources are running thin and they're sort of like having to pull out all the stops like they have to give everything they've got in that final encounter to make it feel impactful so i'm really like basically when i do research for planning my my encounters and things like that i'm like figuring out ways to like enhance monsters give them stronger abilities make them play smarter give them Give them little buddies to like, like uh, attract attention to make them like have to spread out on the battlefield. Um, so yeah, that's like that's one thing I really enjoy about GMing. It's just yeah. basically beating up on the players until they <laughs> finally get that success and they feel good that yeah we beat that that hard encounter.
0: Yeah, and that's I mean that's a really crucial aspect of. D&D especially when you're coming at it from from the from wanting to be a challenging DM giving your players some like a, something to overcome that's not going to just wipe them out but they're not in turn going to wipe it out yeah just yeah. having that that perfectly sized mountain mm-hmm. for them to
1: climb yeah for sure like yeah I just I don't want them to like go into something and then just like sweep the floor with it and they're just like oh well that that was super easy and like maybe it's a little bit of a letdown that they got all like in the build up before they even got to the encounter they're just like this this creature sounds powerful and intimidating and when they get there it barely like they maybe it lasts a round or two so I want them to like have to feel like Okay, when we go into this thing, we have to prepare and we have to be ready to like put everything on the line essentially. And I don't, I'm not trying to come from a point of like, I want to make the players fail. I just want them to have something that's meaty and like that they feel like they are actual heroes and they accomplish something when they beat that final encounter.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah 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 gotcha.
1: yeah i even go so far as to be like it's like we just had an encounter with an avalith recently and like things didn't start off well like i enslaved uh lucas's character uh pretty early on he's the magic user he also had um a spell scroll on him which was mass cure wounds which would have been handy as they got beat up on and like so i had like fireballed them twice and it was looking pretty bad they had two got two characters down austin's character was running it was just not looking good and i just had to be like guys you got this it's it's totally doable for you guys to finish this counter off and and not and not get tpk'd or anything and i feel like that might have helped them to encourage them to be like all right well let's let's just power through it let's see if we can actually do it
0: yeah and i can only imagine that lucas did nothing but take that well
1: he actually did pretty well he was like (laughs) he he seemed gay to just like yeah yeah okay i cast the fireball right in their area good and good. that's good and, yeah <laughs> yeah and it worked out that he eventually made the save so he got unenslaved and then like it came down to a situation where i think uh kyle david and maybe ash's character were also down and this was the perfect time for him to use that mass cure wounds to get them all back up to like get that final push to defeat this boss and like i use the Atlas enslave ability to try and slave him again for this one final like hurrah of like Abba's gonna win you guys have been totally wiped out and he he just beat the dc and was finally able to cast that masculine everyone got like that big revive and then just i think they finished it the very next round they they beat up on it and I finished it off
0: gotcha gotcha now joe what is your fondest rpg memory
1: my fondest rpg memory you know one thing i, I laugh about a lot is when we were in most campaign we were trying to get to that ice island of fight in an ice giant right and Mm -hmm. we're sitting we were on the docks arguing over how we were going to acquire a boat (laughs) to get to to this island (laughs) And i think we spent like almost all session trying to debate like how we were going to get money to pay for a boat which boat we were going to (laughs) buy and like talking to different different sailboats they were at the docks and only find out that we had a foldable boat or someone or one of the captains said they were gonna take us for free or something like mm-hmm. that austin and
0: like, austin being a sailor uh yeah as his background had the feature of he could always find a boat for hire in whatever port the yeah. problem was that austin also had recently discovered the foldable boat and really <laughs> wanted one
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i just i just i think about that sometimes i was like man that's just so silly and stupid <laughs> we spent all session and it was like we, li- we literally had the information we needed at the very beginning of us trying to find a boat but we spent all session <laughs> trying to figure mm-hmm.
0: out stuff yep gotcha <laughs> yeah that in many ways that could be both the best and worst rpg memory
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> I think it just—it just feels so good because our group is just so wacky, and mm-hmm. we're just cracking jokes the entire time. That it just—it gets off the rails in a fun way, mm-hmm. and it was just, yeah. It's just yep. one of the things I think about when I, when I want to describe our group to other people. That's like the memory I want to go to and be like, yeah, we just fight over dumb stuff. <laughs>
0: Now I've been asking this question as, uh, "What's your your that guy story?" Fortunately, in our group, uh, we have never really had that guy. Um, we we do, however, well, have Austin.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, Joe, what is your favorite Austin moment?
1: Yeah, this this involves another boat moment. Uh, I think we were. I forget where we were sailing to, um, but we were on a boat, and like we were fighting some flying creatures or whatnot, and Austin's character casts Fog Cloud on the boat, <laughs> only to not realize that the boat is still moving. So mm-hmm. he casts Fog Cloud, and the very next round, the boat just keeps going. So his Fog Cloud's just hanging out <laughs> in the ocean, <laughs> so he just basically wasted a whole spell. Mm-hmm. I don't, it's just, that's just like so typical and awesome to me. Just like, they, just having a really good idea and like he executes on it, but then it just sort of like falls flat in one way or another. It's just <laughs> like, that's <yeah. laughs> one of my favorites.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Also, it's, him creating oh. that uh, that cult that got high off of pot brownies, essentially. Yes. That's pretty good.
0: <laughs> yes, BT's cult was fantastic.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, and him, uh, I have a lot of favorite Austin moments. Him turning your big bad assassin dude into stone off of (laughs) the divine intervention. Like, I don't even think he had any hope that that would actually work, but it just just did. And it's like, yeah, of course, that's Austin. Mm -hmm. Of course it's going to work like that.
0: Austin, and we talked about this when he was on the show, Austin has the most amazing luck when it comes to Divine Intervention. He's pulled out not one, but two, like, big, bad, destroying Divine (laughs) Interventions in in his career.
1: (laughs) I feel like you're lucky to get one across, like, maybe, like, a generation, and Austin's just, like, pulling him out. It's like, like, at this point, just, like, don't let him play a cleric, because he's just going to Divine Intervention at some point and ruin your story.
0: Yep. (laughs) absolutely (laughs) now joe if you could make an rpg system for any fictional universe that does not have one or if you could take an old rpg and update it with a a newer rule set what would it be
1: so i think there are some fan-made versions of this but i think a harry potter i'm a big potter head so harry potter rpg system seems really cool um i don't know if i'd want it to like either be in school or like the post-school stuff um but i feel like just something in that realm would be cool i i looked looked briefly a couple months ago and i saw that there were a few out there a few fan-made ones out there but they didn't really seem to like have like the meat necessary to like entertain like an actual full-blown campaign in it but yeah something in that universe
0: Yeah, the thing about that, it it seems like a world ripe for an RPG system, but I think the main thing holding that back is J.K. Rowling does not want people playing in her sandbox.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, sort of, I guess. She did have that, that Cursed Child book made which I haven't read still, but I, I've heard that it's essentially fan fiction. This is just officially endorsed as canon. Mm. So I guess there's a little bit of that, but like, yeah, it'd be, it'd be cool if like, even if it's still fan made, just like someone just fleshing something on like that mm. or like, like uh, converting like 5e into something like that. Really yeah.
0: Now Joe, and this is a question that's had some interesting answers from our group. Um, if you could put anything on a t-shirt, mm-hmm. what would it be?
1: Yeah. I see. I, I thought about this one <laughs> ahead of time. <laughs> I think I'm going to go sort of Austin weird in this, and that I was thinking, like, a water fountain, you know, like, on the front of the shirt. And, yeah. like, anytime you're thirsty, you just got water right there. You don't even have to worry about it. You don't have to carry a water bottle or anything. <laughs> I'm assuming it's weightless and, like, it doesn't need to be hooked up to anything. It just spouts water.
0: Yes. Yeah, perfect. this T-shirt can defy the laws <laughs>
1: of physics. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, just like a big old water fountain on your shirt. Anytime you're thirsty, you just pull up your shirt a little bit, push the button, got water. <laughs>
0: It's like Dune, but it's not your water. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no.
1: <laughs> oh, what if it was like anything you drank was in the water fountain? Hmm. Like it just transferred out of your body into <laughs> this mystical water fountain. <laughs> I don't want to think about that anymore. Oh, <laughs> uh,
0: that's weird. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, Joe, you, you alluded to it already, but I, I just have to have you kind of tell the full story here on the show. So please enlighten all the people out there about the uh, the incredible, wonderful monarch and ruler and legend <laughs> that was Balisar.
1: Man, Balisar was uh was amazing. So I feel like his whole character basically came off of I rolled. I think I rolled off his like backstory traits, um, like his flaws and things like that. And his flaw was that he likes to steal trinkets and things like that. Like, oh, that's a fun idea. I think even my first session, he was like in a commander set and tried to steal things off of a map. I was like, okay, that's a little fun idea I could just go with. And I just sort of like kept building on it. And it didn't help that he was like the dumbest member of the party. <laughs> so. <laughs> so he would just literally just take things I think at some point he had collected like a bunch of masks that he was basically wearing as armor and like eventually it just kept getting bigger and bigger and so he saw we came to that town that was abandoned mostly and he was like yeah this is my town now (laughs) and so yeah he just (laughs) his his whole character idea is basically off that one little flaw that he wants to take small things just to him that small things could end up being a a giant city (laughs)
0: Yes, I, I like to tell people that Balasar was the greatest wizard in the whole realm, yes. and that with his spell Handaxe, he was able to fell very many foes.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's funny is... I didn't even like plan for the hand axe to be a big thing, but it's just like we were fighting that snake boss, and like you guys were talking to it, and I was like, I think Balasar is bored of this now. And I was like, (laughs) what does he got to throw? Oh, he's got a hand axe from his pack. And I was like, All right, I'm gonna chuck that. (laughs) And yeah, it just became his thing then. He Mm. threw hand axes whenever he could.
0: Yeah, that's... That's something that would happen a lot in my game because it was me and Mo, and that that was always what would end up happening. Yeah. Was <laughs> I I would do my my. This is the line that the villain is going to say right as the fight starts, kind of like a like a Mortal Kombat type thing. Yeah. But then Mo would always have to like quit back.
1: Yep. <laughs> yeah, Mo always had a counter. <laughs> Even when he was DMing, you could you could say something to him and you'd be like, all right, I'm finishing a conversation with this line. And Mo would be like, yep. all right, I got another quip to hit you with. <laughs> you'd just be like, okay, I guess I walk away now. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: Yeah, but uh, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. I, I believe the the ending that ended up happening with Balasar was as the the Empire, the the evil Empire that was the source of y'all's problems from the beginning of that campaign. After it kind of fell apart, Balasar ended up taking about half of his territory just <laughs> yeah. by accident.
1: Yeah. I think so, yeah. I feel like at one point we were also walking through the woods, and he was just, like, marking, like, trees and stuff and be like, all right, yeah, this is now mine. And he was just, like, expanding his mm-hmm. town's borders every so often.
0: <laughs> Belisar was also uh, one of the uh, one of the D&D characters to experiment with uh, psychedelics.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's something I wish I would have played up more, <laughs> but I just didn't really know how to play like, I was just, I don't know, I was very rusty at RP and that kind of stuff. But yeah, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and basically becoming aware that we were in a D&D campaign was, yep. was awesome.
0: <laughs> and that, honestly, that was purely by accident. Because yeah. you said that you wanted to, to eat some mushrooms. yeah And so I don't remember if you rolled or I rolled. I think, I'm I think right you right. rolled. yeah yeah yeah, you rolled and i had my head okay one through five it is a poisonous mushroom if it's a one it's going to do this much damage if it's somewhere between it's a little bit less in the middle is going to be some kind of psychedelic and then at the end is going to be like if like if you roll a 20 it's going to be something that like gives you a buff for a little bit and so you (laughs) ended up rolling somewhere between like a 10 and a 15 yeah and so i was like okay it doesn't hurt you but you're tripping (laughs) and i was just i was just going to leave it at all right you're tripping balls but and you're like no 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 what do i see and the only thing i can think of was that because people describe like doing mushrooms as transcending reality okay you transcend this reality and transcending this reality shows you us playing this game
1: yeah you know for a while i thought about if his if his stats were high enough i was going to make him like a cleric and he would follow the god of ryan Oh god! Just because he was aware that there was like essentially the D and D game was the heaven of the universe or something. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's. Yeah. A,
0: I don't know how to feel about that.
1: Yeah. Very <laughs> good fun, but unfortunately, Balanor wasn't very too. He wasn't very high in the uh, the mental stats. <laughs>
0: Mm-hmm. and so uh right pretty much right either right before i moved from charlotte or as i was like in the process of preparing for the wedding right around that time you kind of got bit by the dming bug tell tell me a little bit about how that happened
1: yeah i, I don't really know like what fully like capture because i remember ashley was like asking us to do like one shots like everyone was going to do a one shot before her campaign started and, and it was around that time where i was like okay i have an idea but i don't know if i really want to dm like i don't i don't really think i have the skills for it or like i i don't think it'd be cool like fun for me at all but i don't know like something i was like i was i started playing with that idea a little bit more i was like oh this seems like it could be fun and i was i got the idea of like oh what if i just made like a super grind fest like campaign or something like that i was like what if i just made it like difficult for the players but they just had to like fight to survive essentially and so i was like oh man that's that seems like a lot of fun to like get these wacky guys together and make them just sort of like have to endure like a harsh environment or something like that that's why i like proposed to you guys about this whole like mesoamerica setting where like originally i thought about being high magic but i think low magic fits a lot better and i was like you, you know like you guys like i was just thinking like a super grindy like um you guys are gonna get in like political mess and you're gonna be fighting for your life in pretty much a whole bunch of different scenarios and that's what, and that's what I pitched to you guys. Um, you guys seemed down for it. And I was like, all right, cool, cool. I'll start. I'll start like branching this world out, building on it, making it cool interesting to be cool things to do it and i was like it's actually during that process i was like man i'm way over my head i have i have no idea where you even start like how to even like build a town <laughs> for players to like go to and explore and I was like all right I'll let me let me practice a little bit with another campaign that's why i like jumped on the modules because i think david had said it's something about like oh we've only done homebrew stuff since we've all been together so like he doesn't even really know anything about the 5d modules i was like well it seems like it'd be fun and also seems to be had fun in his Curse of Shroud campaign he was doing at the time. And I was like, All right, let's do something like that. And I like proposed Storm King's Thunder and everyone seemed down and I was like, All right, here we go. That's when I And now like I'm I'm like juiced up. I really love DMA. I love the planning process and like yeah, I'm all I'm all game for it. Gotcha, gotcha.
0: How have you been enjoying uh Storm King's Thunder?
1: Yeah, I think it's uh it's really cool. Um, it's like, so there's a bunch of different chapters in it and it like starts you off in like this one, like isolated area in this town called nightstone It's basically just like a ramp to like get the players up to level five as quickly as possible. And so like the first couple of chapters of that campaign are sort of railroading and that, Hey, get your characters to do this level up really quickly and send them to this town where they're going to like fight giants and they're like going to get they're supposed to essentially get wrecked by these giants because the campaign essentially like makes them underleveled for all these major encounters like um, they'll eventually find out when we get there but like even the end boss like they're not even supposed to be a, in a level anywhere close to where that encounter is like in the realm of being easy so I think that's one of the cool aspects is that oh I finally get to make these guys like <laughs> uh, work really hard to win these encounters and like maybe sometimes they're going to do something and it's going to like they might have some success but they'll also have failures like when I finally fought the Giants um and it's come kind of- the town of Tribor, they first had to battle a bunch of minions that were setting the town on fire. And once they finished off, they finally ran down to the town square where these giants were digging up these pieces of uh, armor uh, from the ground. And they had to fight both these giants at the same time as the giants were trying to run away. And essentially, this this giant got the better of them and killed Austin's character. It almost killed uh, both of the half-orcs, so Lucas and um, David's character. And, like, it was rough. And so they finally got this one dragon, down da- or this one um, giant down and the other one escaped with the piece of armor. So it's just like, that's just like such a cool aspect of like, there's stuff in here that you guys can succeed at and you can even over it succeed. But there's also stuff that you're just going to fail at and you just have to live with it and just like watch what's going to happen in the story. Mm-hmm. And like, another cool thing about Store King is that chapter three after that fire giant, it's like, all right, here's a big sandbox. You can give your players these things that they can go do. You can put whatever you want into it, but they have this whole world that can go accomplish these things until you decide to trigger these moments. And that's when they'll go back on the main story story. story i feel like that's a pretty good avenue for me as a new dm i can practice like all right when i get to this chapter three section i can be like all right well this is where i can create dungeons this is where i could create storylines this is where i could create um new characters and things like that and it's like it's been pretty good exercise for getting a feel of that kind of stuff
0: yeah i i definitely think that you are going about learning to dm the right way (laughs) i did it kind of backwards yeah. And that I started with, fortunately, it was not my homebrew world. It was Moe's homebrew world. Yeah. But there was a whole lot of aspects of, I am making stuff up. Yeah. And I did not have, I, I had very little in the way of a support net, because a lot of the stuff that we were exploring in my game was an area of the world that we had not explored in Moe's game. Yeah. So I, it, it was like I was creating my own world, and then all, it wasn't until very recently that I started uh, running games games out of modules and i found that i was uh relying too much on the book yeah i because i had that book there telling me what to do i was relying too much on what it was saying and not kind of giving my players enough freedom
1: yeah that's yeah that's definitely one thing that i uh, i found especially with the early on stuff that's sort of railroading where like in this book it's like trying to get them to go to these specific locations and do things like they, they'll they be talking and they'll like ask the character something and I have to be like oh I, I didn't create that character I don't know exactly what they know I have to like alright guys one second let me look down at my laptop and look at what this book is saying this character knows or can tell you and stuff like that mm-hmm. so yeah I sort of struggle with that aspect because it feels like I'm pulling them out of the game when I do that stuff um, but I feel like I'm 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 working when I do my planning uh every day now I do planning during my lunch breaks now I try to like write notes um and I try to change things up so that um it feels like that i'm creating this character without actually doing it so i have a better grasp on what they can communicate to the player and stuff like that but i was also do things like i think this like this module in this town they went to it was abandoned and so there's a bunch of like abandoned buildings um that they can explore um and i think one of the things that i wish i w- would have done is basically try to look at what was in each building um because i feel like i was just going back to the book way too much and i be like oh this building has um like three gold in it and stuff like that um i feel like it just slowed down the pacing of that very first session a little bit um and, the, and the, the group seemed to be happy they seemed to have a lot of fun especially since there was like goblins spread out that they could fight and they were doing wacky things but it's like one thing that if i were going back i would maybe ignore most of like the like the uh handpicked stuff that the book put in all these buildings just like uh there's maybe a handful of interesting ones that could have checked out instead of all of them essentially Mm -hmm.
0: gotcha now since i moved away there have been a handful of moments that have happened both in your campaign and in (laughs) ashley's campaign that (laughs) at the end of those the end of those moments someone jumps in the group text that i'm still on and says none of this would have happened if ryan were still here (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> one of those moments was the flooding and complete destruction of the city of Waterdeep yeah. in your campaign. So, <laughs> so Joe, tell me how that happened.
1: Yeah, so um, this is actually something that I tried to. Uh, one thing I wanted to change up because I'm also using this campaign as like an experimental stuff. So Austin's playing a uh, chaos magic. Sorcerer, uh, or he was until great died later on. But um, I remember when I was playing it, I felt like the D100 table that's in the book is just sort of limiting. Like you're going to, it's, it's, you're pretty often you're going to hit the same things over and over again. I think Davern like turned blue like all the time and his age went up and down and the pot of plant stuff would happen. So I was like, well, I want something more varied and I want something that's more wacky. So I was we got a D10,000 table that's out there for this kind of stuff. <laughs> and I was like, okay, this is cool. This is fun. Uh we'll do wild things and it started off pretty mild. Like um I think the very first one was just like a water spout appeared out of nowhere and I, like poured water for like 1d4 hours or something like that. And another moment was Austin's uh one of Austin's Chaos Magic made everyone's armor filled with mashed potatoes. And I was like, Oh okay, this is <laughs> real wacky stuff. But then it didn't get wacky at all and then it got serious. <laughs> So I like I threw an early giant encounter at them that's not in the book or anything. I was like, this is a giant campaign. I want them to fight a giant really early. I had like souped them up with magic items so that this fight was sort of fair. And I was like, all right, let's fight some giants. And Austin uh, cast a spell. and rolled on the table, um, and they were like heading towards Waterdeep. And when he rolled on the table, that it basically just said a tsunami hits the nearest city or something like that um, based on their location. <laughs> Waterdeep was the most was the closest city that. <laughs> uh a tsunami could realistically hit. And so... <laughs> yeah they didn't really know about it uh like when they were i think after that fight they were like heading towards water deep and i think towards the end of session i was like okay you guys are pretty much in the outskirts of water deep and you start to see puddles of water and like like debris and stuff like that and people who are seeing lost and stuff like that and i was like and they they just thought that this was just water deep they just thought oh okay this is weird and i was like uh you guys know how you roll on the water on the table <laughs> you rolled a tsunami destroyed this major city <laughs> and and Sword Coast and they just went oh shit yeah
0: you just dropped a tsunami on Xanathar
1: yeah you just (laughs) this classic D&D city yeah toast (laughs) you guys don't get the and there's like a bunch of cool stuff that they get experienced in Waterdeep but yeah it's just Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's just gone (laughs) the city's just destroyed
0: and uh, too bad for you guys Dritz Duarden was there so uh, yeah you're never gonna meet him
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) Finding Dritz uh, so Dritz isn't actually in the book, but I did throw him into this story. He's he there uh, someone gave him a quest that eventually essentially told him that Dritz is hunting giants. Um, so they could maybe eventually meet him in the gotcha. game. Which is cool.
0: Oh, they're gonna try and kill him, just so you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I'm expecting it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Like uh, the DM that I'm playing, we're actually playing in Waterdeep. We're playing uh, kind of loosely with Dragonheist. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but and I don't know if this is actually in Dragonheist or not. But Jarlaxle is just hanging out in Waterdeep, and so there've been a couple interactions with him.
1: Yeah, he sounds familiar. Who is he again?
0: Jarlaxle. Uh, so in the Dritz saga, Jarlaxle is this other uh, Drow who, okay. instead of just kind of sticking with Drow society, he's become kind of a mercenary okay and so whatever house is at war with a different house they'll hire him and he even he goes to the surface and works as a mercenary there and he kind of becomes an adversary and sometimes ally for dritz throughout the cycle and so he he just kind of shows up in forgotten realm stories and so our dm just threw him in there or potentially he's in the book i don't know
1: yeah yeah that's yeah that's interesting yeah like uh so i actually don't know a ton about dritz so i'm actually gonna have to do a bunch of research in preparation for when they eventually meet him mm-hmm. yeah so yeah <laughs> but it's like a cool that like that's one thing that i've noticed with david since he's been playing uh dD for so long is that when i reference a city or something like he just he knows about it. he's like oh yeah like, i think i m- we mentioned like Icewind and stuff like that and he's just like oh yeah like icewindale well that's awesome we're like in forgotten realms and he just like knows these places and things like that so i feel like that's like one of the fun aspects that i could just like throw and famous D&D characters into the campaign, and they can run into them and interact with Mm them.
0: So Joe, kind of getting back to that uh, that setting that you're developing with kind of the Mesoamerican flavor, I want to talk a little bit about that, because that's one of the cool things about 5th edition. Even though there can be some challenges with changing up the setting a little bit, 5th edition is modular enough that you can, in many ways, completely overhaul the setting that the players are in, and kind of put it anywhere in time, anywhere in fiction, anywhere even in history, mm-hmm. and the rule set still works. Have you have you been noticing that as you're kind of setting up uh, this campaign?
1: Yeah, like, um, yeah, it definitely seems very flexible. Um, and I think, like, even, so like I was mentioning how um, I was sort of planning on it being like a very low magic sort of environment. Um, after you, uh, you posted that um, campaign guide from one of your DMs uh, in your, in the group chat and he's had like expressions for like non-metal weapons. So I'm like, okay, that's another aspect I could throw in there of like, yeah, you guys don't have advanced weaponry at this point in time. Um, so yeah, I'm like thinking things like that. And D and D seems to like accompany that stuff. Like even the DMG talks about how you can handle low magic settings and things like that. Um, and I think that's, I think that's going to work. Re- I think this system will at least work really well. Like I thought about maybe like Mo had mentioned some other like, um, campaign, settings that are systems that you could use for that kind of thing and i think i feel like since we all have such a good grasp on 5e i don't really want to change that up too much if we ever get to that campaign mm-hmm. um so yeah i that's i've been trying to work with 5e as much as possible just like get it to work and things like that mm-hmm. um but one aspect i'm thinking about is is magic and how that works um in this world um i mean, like one to like integrate like the sacrificial like of like the aztec side of mesoamerica mm-hmm. and like like a blood magic theme that you like to cast magic you have to like essentially sacrifice some part of yourself to like cast this dark magic essentially mm-hmm. and like i think 5e has a a spell points system instead of the spell slots that uh most groups use um and mm-hmm. i was reading something about how some one idea is that you can use the spell point system but instead of it being these spell points it's like hp instead so like To cast magic, you have to, like, use—you have to, like, hurt yourself to essentially do these powerful spells. Mm -hmm. And, like, there's aspects of, like, you can't recover those spent, like, HP points with, like, hit dice and things like that. Um, It has Mm -hmm. to be with other magic or long wrists, um, which I think could be fun and interesting.
0: Yeah, even just, like, the flavor of, okay, completely get rid of, say, like, the the material components of a spell, but in order Mm -hmm. to cast it, you have to, like, cut yourself— yeah. Or or maybe even like to cast a wish spell. Maybe you have to actually sacrifice a a person or multiple people. Yeah, to like make even that happen.
1: It's like it's just like something that's flavor wise that like can be like really interesting and be like a a good change to like make it not feel like same old five e that we've been playing for four or five years now. It's just like yeah, this is it, it's the same system, but it's just feels different in a way
0: absolutely and it's really one of the things that that really interested me about this game that you've kind of been planning here is the setting itself first of all there's not a whole lot of media even leaving aside role-playing games there there aren't a whole lot of movies or tv shows or video games or anything that that feature kind of that that mesoamerica era yeah and it, it seems rife. For uh, adventuring, especially in like a D&D sense, because it is a it, it's multiple cultures that for a while had limited exposure to people kind of outside of their land masses. But yeah. then all of a sudden, at some point, here come the Spanish and then here come the Japanese. The Japanese yeah. <laughs> stopped over in Mexico multiple times and left samurai there. Yeah, yeah. On, on the way to Spain, and so there's all it's this it's this weird moment of no contact with the outside. To here come all these outsiders, and they want everything we have. And I feel like that is just the perfect ground for a D and D type adventure.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's like that's basically what I was thinking of. Like um, when Ash was doing all his campaign ideas, like the one shot ideas, and I was like, "Well, I want to do something." that's not explored a lot I, like i mo had even mentioned that he wasn't super into fantasy anymore and i was like all right let's do something not medieval fantasy and i went exploring um and like so my family is mexican and i'm like we don't really see a lot of like that ancient mexican even south american culture represented much and like books or tv and stuff like what you said and like even like trying to get inspiration for some of my ideas it's hard to go out there and like just find some fiction that like just just explores those those times and those people and stuff like that. So it's like it's been like an interesting like challenge to like basically do research on these cultures and then like figure out how to put it into a game in a fun way. Um yeah, I'm hoping I'm hoping when I eventually can feel satisfied with it and we can actually play in it, it'll it'll just feel like something new and exciting and like not the same old same moment essentially mm-hmm.
0: yeah the only the only piece of media that i can really think of actually there there are two that that come to mind that deal with kind of mesoamerican culture one of them is the road to el dorado which is a <laughs> yeah <classic>. yeah, yep.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: But then the other one. Have you ever seen the movie Apocalypto?
1: Um, I haven't seen it. Um, uh, that's like—is that a Mel Gibson movie? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a
0: Mel Gibson movie, but it's about the Mayans.
1: Yeah, yeah, I've heard about it. I think I think my parents might have actually watched at one point when I was like in middle school or something, high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I never actually seen it myself.
0: Gotcha. I haven't seen it either, but I've heard good things. It's it's yeah. relatively well reviewed, so that I mean that might, that might be something worth uh, worth watching.
1: Yeah, 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 for sure. And like, there's um, I think there's like a book series called like Obsidian and Steel or something like that that evidently is um like a very it's a very good like fantasy fiction in Aztec and an Aztec culture that I want to yeah. explore too. Um, just get like some inspiration and stuff like that for what uh this campaign can be setting
0: now another aspect of of that campaign setting that you might have to deal with and this is something that i'm actually noticing i'm probably gonna have to deal with in my next uh game which i'm already planning with these kind of alternate settings a lot of the classes in D no longer make sense yeah. uh, specifically with the world that i'm planning um that being either the Dark Sun setting from, from second edition and and on, or uh, just kind of like a Conan the Barbarian sword and sorcery type fantasy. Mm-hmm. The idea of a bard just yeah. <laughs> is not present in, in either of those. I mean, there are certainly like wandering musicians, but not, not the kind of like...
1: Jack of all trades, like wacky like music player
0: yeah who who also knows magic and that seems like something that's also not present in uh kind of the mesoamerican tradition not without some kind of super heavy reflavoring to make them like a, a storyteller of sorts have you have you looked at all into restricting or modifying classes
1: um yeah a little bit like i've also thought about like wizards in general just sort of feel like um, sort of still like that like old medieval fantasy type especially with essentially with the flavor in, in 5e they just sort of feel um, out of place if they were just like to plop a wizard class into this campaign mm-hmm. um, so it's just like being like okay what's some way I can rebrand and stuff like that and I thought maybe like oh maybe a wizard is like a shaman instead or something like that just like a different flavor to it um, and I also thought about like the races uh, of 5e um like an elf doesn't really naturally fit with what you would think of an Aztec culture or dwarves and things like that. They sort of feel too medieval to like just plop them in this uh this set this environment in this setting. So that's that's one thing that I pitched to you guys was okay, if we do this campaign, uh we do no common races. So it'd be like Ericroca and tabaxi and stuff like that that are easier to flavor for this area but it, it comes with a challenge of like having to like essentially build up the culture for these races that don't really match what 5e is doing see so yeah, like one of my first steps when i was like planning to do it the first like the very beginning after i pitched it to you guys i was writing up this doc that was essentially like okay here's eric croca here's how they are in society here's how their society and themselves is built up and like here's how they interact with other races and that's when i was like starting to realize like oh, I'm a little bit over my head, maybe I don't need to be this thorough, um, and stuff <laughs> it's, it's stuff like that. Yeah. It's it's definitely an interesting challenge just to reflavor it so that you still have stuff that you know and can and vibe with easily, but also matches um, the setting so you don't feel totally out of place.
0: Yeah, absolutely absolutely. That's and there's this thing that happens. Whenever you place a restriction on kind of what players can do, someone is always trying to push that envelope. The, the best <laughs> example I have of this, I had this online Mutants and Masterminds game that I was running for a little bit, for like, I think three weeks we ran this game, and then it completely fell apart. It was set during World War II, and I said, you can be a superhero from any allied nation. And immediately someone shows up with a German, not a yeah. Nazi, not a Nazi, but a German. Yeah. And I was like, you're going to have to pitch this one to me. And they did it. They did it well. But as soon as you put up those restrictions, someone pushes the envelope.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and that seems, like, not the Harper Austin, awesome, but it just seems like an awesome thing. He likes to just, he likes to find wacky, cool character combos, so I just know that if we ever do this campaign, he's just going to find something that just sort of, like, is interesting and fun and wacky, because he's mm-hmm. going to push those restrictions to the boundaries.
0: And he seems like the type who would do research to, yeah. to find out some <laughs> some kind of, like, weird aspect of, of Aztec culture that he could exploit. <laughs> yeah,
1: definitely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not gonna put it past
0: <laughs> Gotcha. Well, Joe, I've had a great time uh talking with you this evening. This has been a whole lot of fun. Honestly, I, I really do wish that I could I could play in your, your Storm Kings Thunder game. Yeah. And I, I wish that somehow, some way I could play in this uh this uh Mesoamerica game that you're you're planning as well, and I know that's off in the future so there's there's no telling yeah. if maybe I'll be back in Charlotte or if I'll have a schedule that allows me to play, but I, I really do wish that I could have played in a game that you were DMing before I moved.
1: Yeah, 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 it just, it sucked with the timing that I didn't have that DM bug and then like, when I finally got it you were basically like a month out from your wedding essentially, and it was like, oh man, it sucks. I wish I wish Ryan could take part in it. I wish Mo could even like come back and join us um you guys have spread out a little bit
0: i I was afraid once once i moved there'd been kind of some some talk of other people moving and and going in different directions and i thought once i moved the the group would kind of fall apart a little bit Uh, but you guys have stayed together which i think is amazing and honestly there's not a day or there's not a wednesday that goes by even though i have a a group that i play with on wednesday where i don't see y'all's chat and wish that i was sitting at, at the table with you guys
1: yeah, yeah. We we often remark like when we're messing up in Asha's campaign or something. We often go, man. I wish Ryan was here. I wish, <laughs> <laughs> I wish T one was here to like tell us that we're being idiots or something. <laughs> put, us in, put us in, line. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah. Because not a moment after T one left did you guys aggravate an army of orcs and then fracture the timeline.
1: <laughs> yeah. well, sometimes you gotta you gotta get wild out there. You gotta. <laughs> You gotta mess with Ashley. That's the fun part of her campaign is mm-hmm. messing with Ashley and yep. keeping her on her toes. But she does very good at she like she's got like this cool mystery going on with, with us as characters waking up and not knowing where we were and like these bosses that we still haven't really like interacted with and we're just like putting pieces together. But we're like also like derailing what she has planned. And so like she's just I feel like that's one of the things I like about Ashley is that she just sort of like bounces around and she Manages to catch up and like still manages to put interesting stuff for us to find, even though we go off the rails. It's mm. been it's been interesting.
0: Yeah, Ashley and I had the same problem when I first started out. But when Ashley first started as a DM, she had the uh, kind of the world builder's disease, as as yeah. writers like to call it, <laughs> where she would do all of this planning and have all of these all these things at hand, all these notes and stuff, and then someone would do one really weird <laughs> thing, and it would yeah. all go out the window. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and unfortunately for her We all, all of us at the table Want to just mess with Ashley as much as possible mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't feel like we've ever played a, Like a, a real straight session at all <laughs> It's always been like Alright, you want us to go there? Oh, we're gonna, we're gonna make it right here And go do this wild thing Like half the party has like day jobs When we get into town <laughs> <laughs>
0: And that's something that I was guilty of when I was playing in that game too. I was yeah. like I'm a blacksmith. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, you were making weapons. David's fixing things with mending. Uh, Kyle's cooking meals. It's just it's just out there.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Gotcha. Well, Joe, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a blast talking to you. Uh, guys, next week, uh, we are going to have a, a very cool guest on, uh, kind of continuing that conversation that, that Luke and I had about tactics. I'm actually bringing on an expert in, uh, in Dungeons & Dragons monster tactics. Uh, the gentleman's name is Keith Amon, and he is the author of the for- forthcoming book, The Monsters Know What They're Doing, Combat Tactics for Dungeon Masters. He runs a blog called themonstersknow.com where he talks about this stuff in detail i'm really looking forward to talking to him this should be a very educational episode for you dungeon masters out there but until next time uh, just remember whenever you roll on the wild magic table <laughs> and you end up as a potted plant just know that the adventure is not over you just have to wait 1d4 hours yeah, yeah. i'll see you next time <laughs>